Rickover at Body Learning. And today my guest is Dr. Jack Stern, who's a New York spine surgeon specializing in spine neurosurgery. Uh, Dr. Stern is on the uh, faculty of Yale University School of Medicine. He's also the senior partner at Brain and Spine Surgeons of New York, which is located in White Plains, New York. And he's been honored uh, pretty much every year by New York Magazine as, as one of the best doctors of New York. And we're going to talk today about his, um, his take on the Alexander Technique. Uh, Dr., Dr. Stern, welcome to the show. Robert, thanks for, ha- thanks for inviting me. Well, I wonder if we could begin by if a patient or even a fellow doctor were to ask you, what is the Alexander Technique, what would be your your response to that? Well, of course, you're putting me a little bit on the spot since I'm not an Alexander teacher, so I'll give you my quasi-layman's, quasi-physician's insight into how I see the Alexander Technique. And in general, the way I see the technique is as a educational technique. In in short, um, in short, as we get older, we get short, um, <laughs> which of course is a problem. Right. But as but as a as a spine surgeon, as a neurosurgeon who specializes in the spine, um, it's clear that most patients who have low back pain, and I'll emphasize that, although it's equally true of cerv- neck pain, cervical pain is usually an issue of disuse, misuse, disuse. And it's something that becomes progressive. I see it in myself as I'm sitting here talking to you, slouching over in my, in my uh, desk chair. And we've, uh, and we've just gotten unaccustomed or deconditioned to, to use our body in, a, in a, the way it was designed. And um, I see the Alexander Technique as a way of alerting the individual, whether it's me or one of my patients or colleagues, to say, wait a second, you're not using your body in the most efficient and in the most painless way. Pay attention for a minute and let me teach you, or let me show you what the Alexander teacher just showed me in terms of how I can use my body more efficiently. And it almost goes without saying that if I use my body more efficiently, There'll be less stress and strain on my body. And it almost goes without saying that I'll have less pain. <clears throat> so for me as a neurosurgeon who sees thousands of patients with low back pain, it's really a, a very important tool to, to have at my, at my, at my um, as one of my consultants, an Alexander teacher, for those large number of patients who really don't need surgery, don't need chiropractic, don't need physical therapy, don't need acupuncture, don't need medication, but who are, have, have the ability to relearn and to be taught by an Alexander teacher how to use their bodies most efficiently and with the least amount of pain. Now, that's a kind of a long-winded answer, but as I, as I think about it, that's how I see the Alexander technique in my practice. So when people come to you with low back pain, uh, how how would you decide whether this person might be a good candidate for some Alexander lessons or whether really the thing to do is uh, is surgery? 
Well, that's a huge leap from the Alexander technique to surgery. And I think in between there, it's um, the, the practices of good medicine that is taking an adequate history and a, an adequate uh, or comprehensive physical examination and good imaging, whether it's a CAT scan or an MRI. And so I think the first, my first responsibility in seeing somebody, with a patient with low back pain, uh, is to make sure that they don't have a significant underlining true um, pathological anatomical problem. And I, would sh- and I would share with you that my experience is this probably the same experience as almost all spine surgeons or uh, physiatrists or others taking care of patients with low back pain, that the overwhelming majority of patients don't have a pathological or anatomically pathological condition. They just have uh, a disuse, misuse uh, problem. So as a physician, I make sure before I send anybody to an Alexander teacher that I've taken adequate history, that the history usually is consistent with something that some people might call repetitive stress syndrome, whether it's me sitting inappropriately at my desk or a workman working inappropriately in a warehouse, um, that I get a history of that kind, that the, that, the, that the neurological exam is normal. If the neurological exam is not normal, uh, that might not be a candidate for Alexander Technique. That would certainly be a candidate for somebody who gets, who gets an MRI or a CAT scan. But assuming the MRI and the CAT scan is normal, the patient has a normal neurological exam, and the history in particular is of someone who is uh, using their body in a less than efficient way, I think those are excellent candidates for the Alexander Technique. And I would throw in one more uh, proviso. And what I've just mentioned so far is really the science of medicine. There's also, as we all know, the art of medicine. And I would share with you, there are patients who would fulfill all the criteria that I just um, enumerated and still not be good candidates for the Alexander Technique. And that is because they're not willing, or I was going to say first say unable, but I think really unwilling to give the time and the effort because it takes time and effort. It takes a paying of attention to take Alexander techniques, to take note of your body habits, and then to be aware of your body habits, and only when you're aware of your body habits um, can you possibly change them. So there are patients who I think are not appropriate for the Alexander technique because I know that guy who works for that hedge fund is not going to take the time. In my office, his cell phone rang half a dozen times, so I know he's not going to take the time uh, to take Alexander lessons and change his habits. He's, his head is just, his or her head is just elsewhere. So that, when you run into that, uh, that must be very frustrating for you. Well, not really, because it's not my back and it's not my body. And mm-hmm. I can't, I can only take responsibility for, I always say my advice to my patients or my responsibility to my patients is the same as Cy Sims. And that is, he always says, I don't think he's alive anymore, that an educated consumer is my best customer. And I think the primary responsibility of physicians is to educate your patient. And once I educate my patients as to whether they, I think they need surgery or they need the Alexander technique, of course, unless it's an absolute emergency situation, then I feel I've done my, I fulfilled my responsibilities. And then that person that man or that woman can then do what they want to do, whether if they want to take my advice and have surgery or have Alexander lessons or not. I've, I've fulfilled my responsibilities. I sleep pretty well at night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And what would be your, based on your experience, and, and I assume that your experience includes a fair number of people who've gone the Alexander Technique route or perhaps some other non-surgical route and have done well with that, what would be your advice to primary care physicians who see people with back problems all the time and who, for the most part, don't have a, a lot of tools they can help someone with with that? Well, I think it's it's interesting that, I, I, first of all, I would say that in this medical economic climate, I just came from my own annual physical this morning, and, and I was really pleased to see that my doctor has been my doctor for 25 years, really took the time and the effort to examine me, go over my labs, make sure, you know, he really took the time. I was so appreciative. But in general, uh, because of the exigencies of what's going on in medicine, most physicians no longer take the time to, uh, to spend with patients. And when it comes to issues like back pain, which in, for the most part are self-limiting, they really give patients what, what in German is called the short shrift. You know, take two pills and call me in the morning philosophy. But it's interesting. If that's really the attitude of the internist, then once they've ruled out that the patient has significant pathology, they can do that patient a tremendous favor, both to, them, to them, themselves as a physician and to the patient, to themselves by freeing up their schedules and to the patient by providing them with really excellent, an excellent modem of care by sending them to an Alexander teacher. So I think it benefits the internist, it benefits the patient. Once you've ruled out a patient with back, that the patient with back pain does not have any significant pathology to send them to an Alexander teacher. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the uh, British Medical Journal study that came out about two or three years ago on back pain and the Alexander technique. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a, a tremendous... I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. What yeah, was uh, well, it was, a, it was the first large-scale study and right. pretty pretty conclusively, and, and also I should say there have been a couple of follow-up studies but it, it, that reinforced the original one, but it pretty conclusively showed that Alexander lessons were, were probably the most cost-effective way of, of treating people, if you like. And of course, the study was commissioned by the National Health, Health Service in England. Their interest was saving money. They were looking at it from an from a cost-effectiveness point of view. But one of the things that Dr. Little, who was the director of that study, uh, told me was that what happens now is that if you're a, G- a GP in, in England, um, this standard advice for uh, patients with back pain is to, as it were, write a prescription uh, to, for that patient to take X number of Alexander lessons. Now, we don't have anything like that in the States. Do you have any thoughts about how that could, that, that approach could be made a little more common here than it is now? I would say several things about that. Number one, it was an excellent study. It was published in a, an incredibly prestigious journal cons- um, on the same level as, say, the New England Journal of Medicine. Uh, it was peer-reviewed. It was really an excellent study, number one. Number two, um, it really 
did show two things, not just that it was cost cost effective, but it was patient effective. Mm-hmm. And and um I would also say that one reason that it's not as well known in the United States as it is in the United Kingdom is that it was published in the British Medical Journal and not in Journal of the American Medical Association or the New England Journal of Medicine. Lastly, I think with healthcare change in the United States turning to evidence-based medicine, um, that fact alone makes that study very important because they're very, very, and I'm writing a book which will come out in a year. Uh, People can look for it. It's called Ending Back Pain. And in that book, I look to see which, if any, complementary or alternative modalities, um, uh, whether there are studies in, uh, regarding complementary or alternative modalities that, that are evidence-based that show efficacy. Uh, that's a lot of words, but it means, is there really science to support something like chiropractic, acupuncture, and I could go down the list. Well, there are studies that support a, a variety of modalities, but this study is really a beautiful study. And because we're, we, the economic system is heading towards reimbursing for evidence-based modalities, uh, I believe that ultimately if we can propagate that study here in the United States, the insurance companies will be almost forced to, to reimburse for the for Alexander lessons, which I think is going to allow many people, particularly in this recessionary time, the ability to be effectively treated for low back pain where now dollars are short. Mm-hmm. It would be nice if that, if that came about, for sure. Because I think as, as the situation currently stands, my sense is that the vast majority of primary care doctors will have never heard of the Alexander Technique. So... Just to get that word out would make a huge difference. And although I think, although I think I'll interrupt and say I think that's changing. When I mentioned the Alexander technique 15 or 20 years ago, maybe one out of 10 physicians knew what I was talking about. Whereas today, if I'm in a conference with Alexander with uh, physicians, I would say at least 50, 60 percent of uh, the uh, physicians and attendings have a passing knowledge of the Alexander Technique. So I think the Alexander community is making significant strides and still has significant strides to make uh, in terms of awareness. And since one of the basic principles of the Alexander Technique is awareness, I think that uh, with more awareness on the part of the Alexander community, we can get the, can get the word out there. Uh, Dr. Stern, is there anything that we haven't talked about or covered that you would like to add? Um. You know, there's so much to say about the Alexander Technique. There's so many uh, aspects of the Alexander Technique um, that, uh, that, are, that are important, um, not only to patients with low back pain, neck pain, but I've seen uh, it effective in repetitive stress syndromes of all kinds, whether it's musicians, singers, others. So I, um, I think we've covered a lot of the topic. Um, perhaps not in great depth, but what I want to convey is that this is a this is a, a modality that has tremendous efficiency, is non-invasive, has now has evidence-based medicine supporting it, and has high efficacy. So I'm hoping that more and more individuals who fulfill the criterion that I that I reviewed in our little talk today seek out the Alexander technique um, because I believe that they will 
truly benefit and, and, and be satisfied with uh, the outcome. Well, I think that might be a good place to leave it. Um, my, my guest today has been Dr. Jack Stern, who's a New York uh, spine surgeon specializing in spine neurosurgery. He's on the faculty of the Yale University School of Medicine and is the senior partner at Brain and Spine Surgeons of New York, a uh, practice located in White Plains, New York. He's been honored annually as one of New York Magazine's best doctors in New York. Dr. Stern, thank you so much for being on the show today. My pleasure.